As this is your show, we'll leave some more time a little bit later on in the broadcast to get back to the text line, to open up the phones, your take on what we've talked about this morning. And we haven't even, I mean, I came in here with such a head of steam uh, toward Quebec's assertion that they want an individual environmental report from TransCanada Pipelines. I came in with a bit of a head of steam over Uber trying to strong arm our municipal and provincial governments again. And we haven't even got there. We've spent so much time talking about other topics. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I'd rather have more than we could possibly address than not enough. We wanted to pay attention to porn addiction. Because a video series by actor Terry Crews, you know him, if for nothing from nothing else than those hilarious uh, Old Spice commercials, you know the guy that can make his pecs dance, the retired professional football player? Well, he's released a three-part video series that millions have checked out. It's called Dirty Little Secrets. He says his use of pornography began when he was just 12. He says it blew up into a, a complete addiction. And it's impacted his life. So it's got us talking. Now, before I welcome our guest, I I want to point out, as you may have assumed already, we want to have an open and honest and frank conversation right now. So if the little munchkins are in the car, or if you're listening to this at home around the breakfast table with the wee ones, and you don't necessarily want to explain what certain things are, or you're not ready to have that conversation Consider yourself warned. This is going to be a free conversation, free-flowing, free-moving, open, and honest with Dr. Corey Harushka, registered psychologist at Insight Psychological, a sex therapist as well. Corey, you were on the show just a a short time ago on a roundtable. We said we've got to get this guy back, so welcome back. Thank you. When we talk about porn addiction... Some people may say, I think my partner's addicted to porn. Someone may say, I wonder if I'm addicted to porn myself. How do we define addiction in this context? So in this context, I mean, addiction has traditionally been kind of a medical model where you will need either withdrawal or tolerance for you to be an addict, an addict. So that means either you'll go through some um, withdrawal symptoms, which looks like, you know, um, irritability, um, uh, or the tolerance means you need more bigger better faster or stronger to kind of get that same that kick so in that in the term addiction that's the one area with porn addiction i mean we also have a bunch of other sub areas like you know we call them hypersexual you can have out of control sexual behaviors which are kind of lower levels they don't fulfill the requirements of an addiction or even compulsion or obsession compulsion behaviors which again are different than an addiction but they can almost look very similar to it Hmm. Kelsey Wingarek did some production work on this, bringing up some case studies as well as some some expert testimony. And and I'm sure you've heard the name Nicole Prowse, a researcher at UCLA, who said that porn use shouldn't be lumped in with addiction in other contexts. For example, drug or alcohol addiction. Uh, addiction. As a counselor, as an expert in this area, how does it differ? Well, with with drugs or alcohol we're usually ingesting substances and therefore our body can develop a tolerance or a physical reaction to that with looking at something on the internet particularly porn we, our brains get similar responses one of those is um, dopamine and dopamine is our feel good want to do it again chemical that 
if you keep using that dopamine or getting that hit, what happens is the frontal lobe of your brain, which is responsible for planning and kind of impulsivity, starts to become, like, takes the leash off. So what happens is you are more likely to go to something that gave you that kick the more you get some of that kick, and it, you lose some of that control the more you do it. So from here, you can see that porn can lead to some irritability or an interest um, but we're also talking about what are people doing when they're watching porn are they just watching porn and doing nothing else or are they masturbating with orgasm because now we're getting a whole nother physiological cocktail that gets released into our system that adds to that potential addiction which can fulfill some of those addiction requirements I'm just going to ask some questions just straight up are you telling me there are people that watch pornography and do not masturbate while they're watching? There are. That's interesting. When we have different different religiosity, different levels of kind of rules. Um, I mean, I have people that say they're addicted to porn, but they've watched porn once a month. No masturbation. I've heard some of my clients where I've had clients masturbate to orgasm with porn 30 times a day. So I got 30? this wide range. 30. So I have this wide range of what people will view as an addiction. <laughs> that one time a month is not an addiction. Um, even though it might be a compulsion, they might be driven to it, they might, they, you know, high likelihood of it, but not an addiction or not even an out-of-control behavior yet. But it depends on what they've been taught, what they've been brought up with. Um, there's lots of these little nuances within that kind of area. I want to ask you a question, but I feel like it requires another question first. Okay. And what I want to ask you is... Is pornography inherently morally wrong? But first, I want to ask you, as a psychologist and as a sex therapist, are you here to make moral proclamations, or do you have to set those aside to a certain extent? I mean, we can base morality on, for example, the criminal code. We know if something is illegal, if something harms children, for example, it's morally wrong. But do you have to live in the gray areas, so to speak there, be a little more open-minded? I, I live a lot in the gray area. So it's the legalities versus, I'll call them the healthiness of it. So when we look at porn, there's, a, again, a wide range of what people will define as porn. Some things a few as erotica. I've had people say, you know, looking at a girl on the street could be street porn, who's wearing a short skirt or a bathing suit, um, to full-on hardcore, you know, everything in the kitchen sink, literally, um, as porn. So normally the definition of porn is usually there's some form of insertable sexual intercourse in some way, and that's the key component of pornography. Erotica so you're, might... you're saying that the so-called peeping Tom, or I mean, these, these horror stories we hear of, someone that planted a camera in a change room, or someone that planted a, a camera at some sort of public facility uh, to capture images, that would qualify as well? I wouldn't qualify that as porn. Because to me, there's less of a debate there. I mean, that's that's unabashedly breaking the law. Sure. Right? So if we talk about pornography, if, if we define it as something that's that's legal, something that's readily available, something not all, that's... Not all porn is legal. Obviously. <laughs> so is pornography then, according to your definition or someone else's, inherently wrong? I would say no. No different than watching someone else have sexual intercourse or being able to be aroused by... We're, we're naturally sexual human creatures, and so by seeing anyone engage in sexual activity, we as human beings become aroused. 
some more aware of it than others. So to me, it's not a morality issue. Uh, to me, the issue becomes how much are you watching? What are you watching? What are you doing when you're watching it? How problematic is it? Um, and that, that whole big area. So I spend a lot of time digging around to find out what people are doing in that area. George says it must be a slow news day at Ched. Porn addiction is not hard news. George, that's way too easy. Another says, uh, did you check out Terry Crews' Facebook page? He publicly announced his addiction. And that's why I think so many people are celebrating what's being defined as essentially a leadership statement from mm -hmm. Terry Crews. I am seeing a lot more problematic porn use. So I might not call it an addiction. It might be an addiction because it really depends on what's happening when they stop. Okay, so use can be problematic but not be an addiction. So yeah. how do you define if your consumption, let's call it, of pornography or your viewing of pornography is problematic? First one rule I'll take is if you stop cold turkey and even stop masturbation in that case, what happens? So normally I kind of set my clients as a, a baseline. I'll look at preferably four to six week no masturbation or orgasm, no porn. And then I'll see patterns develop. So typically, um, first two to three days, uh, sometimes we'll call it the withdrawal from endorphins if they have too much going in there. They'll start getting irritable, cranky, that drive starts to kick up. But I have some people last four to six weeks and go, no, I set my discipline down, it was okay. So that would not fulfill as an addiction. Whereas my other guy's like, yeah, I can't control it. It's two, three days and I'm back at it again. And two, three days back at it again. And that's my tolerance. That's the best I can kind of do at this point. So we got a wide range of what people can tolerate and can do. Some people can do drugs once and not get hooked and others do it once and down they go. Regardless of what we're talking about, whether it's tobacco or pornography or alcohol or gambling or whatever, anything you can be addicted to. Is that kind of the benchmark of whether or not you're addicted? If you can just walk away for four to six weeks without touching it? Uh, obviously, you're going to think about your 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 vice. You'll think about oh, yeah. what it is that you're concerned <laughs> about. But without actually indulging, is, is that the benchmark, four well, to six because, weeks? I mean, from a psychological model, an addiction requires some form of action. Otherwise, it becomes maybe an obsession. Um, without that follow through in some action you can't you, you know some people use the term you can't be an, an alcoholic when you're not drinking mm. even though some people will view that as you know a dry alcoholic or you know in relapse or in remission so there's different medical model versus psychological models sometimes conflict a little bit. Dr. Corey Hrushka is our guest. Uh, I really appreciate when our listeners on the text line will, will, will just share something, some insight from their own life that may not be easy to actually type out and hit send on. Or maybe it feels therapeutic to do so. But I appreciate this comment from this listener who says, you know, I watch increasingly extreme pornography and it has totally ruined my sex life with mm -hmm. my wife. You're not, you were nodding before I even finished the yep. sentence. How, it, how often do you lot. hear this? see that a lot. What do you tell people? Uh, well, one of the side effects of watching porn is you can become desensitized to kind of that visual stimuli, and men are more susceptible to this. So um, ED or erectile difficulties is a lot more common the higher usage of porn you do. And there's a good website, um, yourbrainonporn.com, which has a good chunk of information on it. Um, so I encourage people to take a peek at that if they think there is some potential issues going on. Um, so looking at that, 
with the advent of higher speed internet, I see higher intensity, quicker access. I, I equate porn to kind of like, if I can relate it to food, imagine having gourmet quality food delivered to your home, free of charge, at a never ending pace, customizable at the drop of a hat, in the privacy of your own bedroom. <laughs> You know, I can scarily see what that would look like. So, Who's going to want to make their own hamburger helper? Porn is kind of the same thing because you have that avail- availability to kind of bring it into your any place. Big Swede on the text line says porn is a huge problem. Anybody has access to porn on their phone now, 24-7, 365, free of charge. Now we have 3D porn for which there's basically no cure. Are we, I mean, people have been talking about how the, the Oculus Rift, oh, this yeah, virtual that's... reality world is going to trans, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying transform masturbation on the air, but that's what we're talking about. Are we as a society increasingly withdrawing from one another? I mean, is this a problem that, that people Aren't, I can't listen. I think, am I getting carried away? I was going to say people aren't having sexual intercourse anymore. That's not true. Sure but I'm just are. saying the masturbation options are out there. That's the right. pornography options have never been more it's prevalent. Easier. Yeah, it's easier to masturbate and do it by yourself in terms of having no one to worry about their feelings and all those other dynamics. But what's the impact of that? Uh, well, we have clusters of individuals that I find in the office become more hooked into that and become less social relational. But some are just as social relational because I have some sex, I'll call it sex addicts or you know, out of control sexual behavior where they're active by themselves and they're also active out there with either their partner or with lots of people. So it's, it's just one component. Like porn addiction, if it's an addiction, can be a subtype of sex addiction. So ironically enough... Some might suggest, and it's often used in sort of a derogatory way, you know, people will will imply that because someone can't find someone to share their sexual intimacy with. I was trying to decide if I can say because someone can't get laid on the air, but I don't think I can say it, so I won't. That they'd be forced to masturbate, but you get to a point where someone that's addicted to pornography, somebody or, or, or an enthusiast, somebody that indulges, that's obsessed, to use your word, may actually find... That the the quote unquote real thing, the sex, actually doesn't compare to their individual experience. Yeah, and it depends because the when with masturbation you can customize it to your own, and you don't like I said you don't have to worry about someone else's feelings. Some people get overwhelmed because it can be overstimulating for having another person sexually speaking, and so you get I, I get different types of individuals going in different kind of ways. So it's like a whole big. Uh, hodgepodge of a different kinds of people tend to do different kinds of things. I'm, we're getting hit, as you can see the text line, with a whole <laughs> bunch of questions for you, Doctor. I it's think not, what yeah, we'll do... Yet. Give, me a, give me a few more months. So okay. So, yeah. Corey Hrushka, a registered psychologist, owner of Insight Psychological, and uh, what does this mean? The only diplomat? Yeah, diplomat of sex therapy. So it's kind of an honorary... After you become a sex therapist for a bunch of years, which usually requires you to be a psychologist, then they give you an honorary title for just being in the field for a long time. So diplomat status means that's kind of the highest you can go. But you're the only one in Alberta. I believe so. There might, there might be one in Calgary, but I'm not sure anymore. So. Well, we'll say central and northern Alberta yeah, then. For sure. I'm pretty We've got the on only that. one right here in studio yeah. taking your questions as submitted to the text line. Hey, if you'd rather call... And talk to Corey, 780-496-0063. We'll get into it. Is porn addiction a real thing? And if so, is it a big deal? We'll be right back. Corey Hrushka, our guest, a psychologist, 
And as we just discovered, the only diplomat of sex therapy in the province of Alberta, as far as we know. Uh, taking your calls, 780-496-0063. Uh, many more people are submitting questions on the text line. I don't blame people. Some are saying, hey, I, I know you have my name here, but please withhold my name. And we're happy to do that in the context of a conversation uh, like this. Uh, Brian's wondering, do the people that work in the pornography industry risk or even suffer the same consequences of those who watch pornography? Good it's an interesting question. question. I don't have an answer to that one. Um... Let me follow up with another comment here, because I think it might be along the same lines of, of what Brian's getting at. Uh, this is Dwayne, who says... Uh, I don't get the opener. He says, I know this is radio and my belief being a Christian would not be respected. So, Dwayne, we we respect your belief, obviously. He says, but I know what pornography is and I can tell you it's addictive. He says, I was addicted once, but I've been free from it for seven years now. He says, but porn is real and it's destructive. It'll kill your marriage, your life. He says, you wonder why women disappear. You wonder why young girls disappear. You wonder about sexual assaults. He says, all of these from men being addicted to porn and sex. He says, these are spirits. That's the bottom line. That from Dwayne. Now, it reminds me of what I heard as a young kid. This was right around the era when I was a young boy when Ted Bundy, everybody was talking about Ted Bundy. And he said, he told investigators that his whole obsession, ultimately with killing women, assaulting and killing women, started when he discovered pornography in his home. Can you draw a direct line? I mean, you're rolling your eyes right now, Corey. Well, I, I, I did a little article on that, kind of exploring Ted Bundy, too, regarding that, because people are very complicated. So I would say from a porn perspective, porn can ruin marriages. But there's a lot of people who use porn that does not. Like some women in both consensually watch porn together by themselves. There's a transparency it may not impact their relationship significantly at all. For some people, it may enhance their relationship. But depending on, again, what porn, how much, whether their belief systems are in line with it, um, but that's just that one scope. If we take Ted Bundy, and I don't, I'm not an expert on Ted, but what I can say is that some individuals are much more susceptible to certain kinds of behaviors. And if he's using a lot of porn, I'm going to make an educated guess that there's going to be a higher level of impulsivity as you kind of hook into that, which allows him to potentially go into bigger, better, faster, stronger, or more violent if there's already those pre pretendencies, which, because some people watch a lot of porn, they will never act out. There are some people that watch porn and or do stuff, and it increases their likelihood to act out. And how do we tell the difference between those two individuals? That's the challenge. Am I reading you correctly, and you're suggesting that sometimes pornography can be an outlet that would prevent potential offenders from offending? I believe so. I have some cases that I would fall totally in line with that. So some individuals... I'm guessing, can I jump in? I'm going to guess you're going to talk about child pornography. Uh, there's a few cases that I'm dealing with where it, to me, from um, you know my anecdotal evidence in terms of in practice, it's some individuals it's going to make it worse. So for some cases, in some cases of PED, you know, you stop that dynamic and now they start looking outwards, which increases the risk for actually offending because there's some offenders who are some pedophiles who don't offend against anyone. So long as they have access to, not even, oh boy, this is a powder keg, access. isn't it? Some don't even go there, but it's still hardwired in their brains for a select few of those pedophiles. Gabriel's holding the line. Hi, Gabriel. Hi. What prompted your call this morning? 
Uh, just a question about or the topic of whether it's an addiction or not. I have to say I was addicted due to uh, being alone. And then once I got married, uh, there was no longer an addiction there. So I wonder if that would, and Corey, let me ask you this, and Gabriel, feel free to jump in as well. Would that imply that actually Gabriel was never really addicted? Like he could have been for a period of time, but if you now have new other ex- external stim- stimulation, if you have other relationships, they've done some research when they're looking at, most of us on rats, where they gave rats heroin water or morphine water, and then they got a- addicted to that, and then they gave them an opportunity to engage with a group of other rats. And they chose the rats and to suffer some of those withdrawal symptoms rather than stay with the easy Gabriel what made you feel as though it was an addiction for you before you got married well (laughs) frequency yeah the frequency was there you know three four five six times a day right and now you're just you, you just went cold turkey you just walked away from it Pretty much. Uh, you know, if I'm on the road, which I am a lot, you know, maybe my wife doesn't like it. But even if I look at a sunshine girl, that's a form of pornography to her. And it hurts other people. And uh, I don't think there's, I'm addicted anymore. But uh, Gabriel, do you miss it? Who I want when I want? Uh, not really. <laughs> I, I, I love my wife. I was separated from her for 25 years and uh, we got back together and I don't know if love overcomes certain obstacles or pornography is an obstacle. I wasn't hurting anybody that's for sure. You know, porn can be a good thing for a lot of different situations, that's for sure. Hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot of people also will self-medicate using porn, so it's, they use it as a de-stressor rather than drinking alcohol or doing other things because it gives a kick. Um and then, you know, the chemicals within an orgasm from after watching porn or during watching porn can... Uh, yeah, like a high. Yeah. Yeah. Gabriel, thanks for the call. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, no problem. Corey, maybe we can get into that. The chemicals mm-hmm. uh, after this newscast. Plus, a ton of questions for you, women versus men. Mm-hmm. We'll go there as well with Corey Hrushka from Insight Psychological, a psychologist and sex therapist right here in the Ched studio. Here are the headlines. Uh, registered psychologist and sex therapist Corey Hrushka in studio, and we'll get back to our conversation in just a moment. Uh, but I mentioned this earlier. You may have heard uh, March 1st today, of course, and, and Uber says it's suspending operations in the city of Edmonton. And they're blaming the NDP, as a matter of fact. They say the provincial government is the reason why they can't continue to allow, quote, thousands of families to earn an income. Our thanks to Transportation Minister, of course, the Minister of Infrastructure as well, Brian Mason, for making himself available for a few minutes this morning. Minister, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Uh, Doing well, thanks. I tweeted last night that I thought that Uber might be the first corporation of the year to blame the NDP and lose. It's a shameless tactic, don't you think? Well, I do a little bit. Uh, You know, I mean, we've been working with them to develop an insurance product um, that that they can use because they had originally claimed that uh, that their drivers had adequate insurance. And when our superintendent of insurance investigated, he found out, no, they don't. They're depending on people's personal insurance, which doesn't cover a commercial, um, you know, uh, application if there's an accident. So people were 
in, injured and left without insurance. So we stepped in. We agreed to work with Uber. We never indicated that we would meet this deadline. This was a deadline imposed in the city of Edmonton's by, um, uh, bylaw. Um, but uh, we we are going to continue to work with them to get them an insurance product that they can use. Well, I'll point so, out that obviously Edmonton City Council and the provincial government are different governing bodies. It would be unusual for you to be coordinating timelines on legislation, wouldn't it? Well, it would be. And and I'll point out that, well, well our, our regulations go a little bit farther than the City of Edmonton uh, in terms of requiring a Class 4 license and, and a, a police information check. Um, they're very consistent with, with the City of Calgary. In fact, the City of Calgary's bylaw goes farther than us because it requires mechanical inspections and so on. So, um, you know, these are these are things that, that needed to be taken into account. Uber's playing games. It's, uh, it's uh, stirring up its users and potentially users, you know, beyond the province of Alberta um, to, to tr- sort of uh, mount a Twitter campaign. But the bottom line is this. We want to make sure that if you get a, a ride for hire, that if you're in an accident, you're covered. We want to make sure that the driver has the training necessary to give you a safe ride and that the individual, him or herself, is a safe individual to get into a car with because you've just contacted an, a, a stranger on, on the Internet to come and pick you up. So those are the basic bottom-line safety issues that we're trying to deal with. I'm sorry that Uber feels that its business model doesn't work within those conditions, but those are minimum safety conditions, and I urge Uber to reconsider other options to provide some flexibility if they need for example, insurance to bridge between March the 1st and when this new product is ready in in July, they always have had the option of taking out commercial insurance. So what they're doing by by freezing their app uh, in Edmonton uh, is simply trying to to generate a uh, a pressure tactic on the government by uh, antagonizing their own users. Yeah, I mean, and, and to be quite honest, and, and I'm not sitting here to be a government apologist, Brian. I try to, you know, I, I evaluate situations fairly and on a case-by-case basis. I like Uber's business model. I've been in Uber cars. I think they provide a great service, and I think that, that the industry has been waiting for some form of transformation when it comes to transportation. But I'm totally turned off at the method by which they do business, trying to make our city council look stupid, despite the fact that council was cooperative. And now it seems like they're trying to politicize it from a provincial level as well. What sort of an impact does that have on you as a government minister? I mean, I would have to suggest, if you won't, that you probably want to sit there behind closed doors and go, oh, you want to see what a wait feels like, Uber? You want to see? Well, no, <laughs> I don't want to, uh, to, to, to do that. I want to try and remain balanced there, but but they they don't make it easy because uh, you know they they uh, they play these real come into town they roll into town and they play real uh, hardball and demand things from from uh, local authorities so they demand that we change the license well and then when we don't they tell all their supporters that well you know what the NDP is preventing us from operating that's not true what happened was they requested that we change the licensing requirement from a class 4 to a class 5 which is the license most of us have and when we reviewed the matter we decided no there's higher safety issues involved there are things in class 4 for example uh, uh, transporting uh, passengers with disabilities um, uh, fatigue management, um, uh, 
defensive driving and so on that aren't part of the normal driving test. So we, we decided that those things remain relevant to any car for hire, whether it's a taxi or, or a ride-sharing service or, or whatever. So we declined to lower our standards for the licensing of drivers. And now they're trying to convince everybody that we've done something to kick them out of, out of the province or to kick them out of Edmonton. Nothing could be further than the truth. We've tried to cooperate with them on a number of areas, including the insurance. Minister Brian Mason, our guest. So this interim insurance framework has been approved by the superintendent of insurance. So why the wait until July 1st before this product can be available to Uber drivers? Well, there's a lot of details to be worked out. So this is basically a framework for the insurance, but, but things like rates and and uh, conditions and so on all have to be have to be worked out and this is something that um, that uber has known um, we've been working with uh, their insurance provider which is intact insurance um, and it's been clear from the beginning and it was even made clear by the mayor when the city passed their bylaw that whether or not this insurance was uh, was ready or not they were going to start enforcing the the bylaw on march 1st and so uber has had um, you know at least six weeks of warning that uh, this was going to be the situation. They waited till the last minute and then are pretending um, that we're deliberately out to shaft them. Yeah. Nothing, nothing could be further than the truth. Minister, uh, before I let you go, and thanks again for your time on short notice, uh, while I've got you here, you're, you're being criticized for making a transit funding announcement in Calgary two days after that by-election was declared in Calgary Greenway. What's your response to critics that say there shouldn't be any government announcements in, in a by-election period? Well, actually, we'd planned that before the bylaw was even called, and, you know, I hate to admit it, but the Premier doesn't exactly, you know, um, ask my permission to call a, to call a by-election. Um, so we had scheduled it. We had scheduled it. We had the mayor of Calgary. We had a number of other municipal officials. Um, it took a lot of work to pull that together, and we, we decided we would go ahead with it. Um, we planned it long before the we knew when the by-election by was going to be called. Okay. The Honourable Brian Mason, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Ryan. Always a pleasure. Uh, Brian Mason, of course, the Minister of Infrastructure and the Minister of Transportation. You can let me know what you think on the Uber debate. When we come back, we're back to Corey Harushka and your comments on whether porn addiction is a real thing and whether it's a big deal at all. On the text line, Ted says, you know, it's it's kind of odd that Brian Mason would be sandwiched uh, in between conversation on pornography. <laughs> Ted says, I'm feeling a little dirty, saying I agree with the NDP on Uber right now. That from Ted. Yeah, interesting timing, although that was Mr. Mason's availability. And uh, hey, this show can jump around, right, Corey Hrushka? You betcha. So the, uh, the registered psychologist, owner of Insight Psychological, and the only diplomat of sex therapy in Alberta, uh, hanging tight for us. I've never been so careful to to, to not say things like we're going to touch on this <laughs> or we're going <laughs> to massage it out. Massage, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we want to pick up where we left off. If you're just joining us, the reason why we're talking about porn addiction is that actor Terry Crews has gone out in public on the record saying, yeah, listen, you know, I've been addicted to pornography. A three-part video series released by Mr. Cruz titled Dirty Little Secrets. I encourage you to check it out. It's prompted a wide-ranging conversation, Corey, including a ton of questions from listeners. And to reflect about 20 of them into one, a whole bunch of people want to know, women or men, who's masturbating more? And is there a gender correlation to addiction? Not sure if there's a gender correlation to the addiction, but I can say that 
I mean, men tend to masturbate and use porn more than women. Um, men tend to masturbate quite a bit more than women overall. Um, but when we're looking at what arouses people, there is a gender difference. So men tend to be much more visually stimulated and aroused, and they have certain criteria that actually um, impact that arousal in their brain, and it's not even within our control in a lot of cases. You look at certain cases like... Um, women tend to worry about you know their weight but it's really men's brains get aroused by things like a 70 percent hip to waist ratio by a long legs by an arch neck long neck you know there's a whole bunch of criteria that porn users customize very well to get that kick when we look at women's dynamics they tend to be more relationally focused so it's not about the look as much it's about the dance how do they interact how do they present how do they you know if you look in the jungle you know when the peacock is doing their dance that's what's really all about it's if you miss that beat now i'm going to look at him he's more interesting or more appealing to me because of the how he relates or presents so that's why a lot of women will use romance novels they'll do the reading because 50 it's, shades it's of gray more about the relational build up the dynamics and the sex just is a little bit of add-on to that men just need the the look and it kicks up in our brain more. Is it that we're not as sophisticated? Just different modes of arousal. That was a gentle way to put it. <laughs> Elaine's listening in from Millet, and I'm sure that she's not alone in feeling this way. Her message is simple. Porn denigrates women, period. Does it? It can. I guess depending on what porn we do. We have a lot of educational material that is qualified as porn, but it's loving relational sex so the dilemma is how do we define all that i mean when i look at porn no pun intended there's a huge array of what porn is and most people just think oh well two people having sex some is the very degrading to women some is very loving to women and it's degrading to men um there's such a wide array of porn and what people tend to like or look at it's like as varied as food is and what people tend to like to eat so there is a truth to it, but it needs to be kind of encompassed in that scope that it's, it's a big area and there's lots of types of stuff. Julie uh, has an interesting take on this, and, 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 and Julie's kind of looking at her own life, and, and she's essentially saying that, you know, I mean, if this was impacting me, I don't know how I'd really deal with it. I, I'd like to go there next, because I and don't answer now, Corey, but I wonder if you've ever quote-unquote prescribed porn for some of your clients. We'll get to Julie's comment and Corey Hrushka's reaction when we return. Corey Hrushka in studio, registered psychologist, sex therapist at Insight Psychological. A listener says, to quote the dude, Jeff Lebowski, Jackie Treehorn treats objects like women, man. We've been talking about porn addiction and we've got a whole bunch of comments on the text line i said i was going to get to julie's because i think it it tees up a good question an inquiry uh julie says my guess would be that porn is ruining a lot of relationships as a woman i can't even imagine how difficult it would be to cope she says if you know my husband or if my boyfriend was a porn user now at the same time just three texts earlier a listener says, my wife and I both watch porn on a daily basis, and we find that it's made our sex life better than ever. Yep. <laughs> there's a wide range. A lot of the porn use, I think there's a lot of issues that I see in my office where it can impact relationships because there's feelings of insecurity on one side, usually by the women in terms of the men's porn use. And really, a lot of the porn use that 
most people will use, and I say most people, it's really not about the other person or not about the relationship. Um, a lot of people use it to self-medicate or just get an arousal or just kind of do their own thing for a little bit. It doesn't have to impact relationship stuff or even their sexuality, but again, depending on how much people are doing and using and what they're watching. What about parents who walk in on their teenager? <laughs> Traumatizing for both of them, playfully. Um, Absolutely traumatizing for both. But it is, it, is, it necess- is it necessarily something that the parents should lose sleep over, or is it no. normal? Is it regular? It, it's pretty normal. I mean, I think the issue that there was some research um, done earlier on um, adolescent porn use, and I guess the concerning result that came out of that is adolescent porn use is the majority, I think 80% of the boys under the age of 13 said they use more porn than they can count in a week. So, and that can lead to some long-term effects of relational issues or even sexual functioning issues um, because they've been templated to this porn rather than templated to relationships. And that's where I get into a big concern with high porn use. Big Swede wanted me to ask you about the advent of so-called 3D porn. Mm -hmm. Is this concerning? Is it innovative? I mean, as a sex therapist, how do you view it? Oh, I'll be fascinated to see. I think it's definitely innovative. Um, We're talking about like the headset, the, the 3D, whole... so you get you get a sense of presence. So it's like you're really there. So my hunch is, for those that can afford it and or do it, it's probably going to give a bigger kick than standard porn, which increases that likelihood for the chronic users or the problematic users to get get really good hooked into there. It's it's like what they say about pot in the '70s compared to today. Much more powerful, mm-hmm. right? Jillian says, can we be honest for a second? Yes, Jillian, we can. She says, I'm not against porn, but in spite of there being a variety, the majority is aimed at men and denigrates women. The majority also only features one type of woman, which is a double-edged sword, suggesting one type of woman is more attractive and also one type is more okay to degrade. She says that's messed up. She says, now add in the fact that more young people are accessing this type of porn and it's forming their ideas of what makes a healthy relationship. And it's a real hot mess. Once again, she says, I'm not at all against porn. But like anything overwhelmingly male-run and directed, it causes serious problems to the women who have to deal with the men who are very influenced by it. Mm-hmm. I have 30 seconds. It is a big hot mess. Uh, there have been some women directors doing porn for women, um, but women tend not to use porn in the same way that men tend to. So there is a truth to what she's talking about. But women, that's why we have romance novels and Fifty Shades of Grey, because women tend to use that mode for their sexual arousal. They tend to like reading and looking at that stuff more. We've tentatively agreed to bring you in on what could be a monthly or bi-monthly <laughs> basis. Uh, I'm excited the to let our listeners planted, know. Yes. But now we've got to decide what to call it. <laughs> so, so on the short list so far, <laughs> Pillow pillow Talk with Corey Hrushka. Do you have any ideas? Not right now. That's just... <laughs> well, we'll put it out to Chad Nation. Right. And, and I have no doubt the creative minds will come up with something. Corey, thank you for your time. You betcha. That's Corey Hrushka from Insight Psychological. Thanks for taking part in the conversation. We'll do it all again tomorrow morning. Oilers now up next. News in between.